Hi everyone, I'm Anya Parampil and you're watching Redlines. My guest today is Wyatt Reed. He's a journalist and producer of the show By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik. Wyatt, welcome to Redlines. Hey Anya, great to be here. Thank you for having me. I know you've been back in D.C. for a few days now, but I wondered if you could give us a brief update on the situation in Portland at the moment, as far as you're aware. Absolutely. Things have definitely uh, cooled down to a certain extent in Portland. Uh, nothing like the nightly street battles that were being waged for several weeks, uh, as I reported from here last week. Um, I think this gives a great deal of credence to those who were saying that Donald Trump's uh, Department of Homeland Security response to protests, which was to crack down to uh, attempt to uh, sort of repress the protest movement out of existence, uh, I think it's very clear that these actions have had the opposite effect, uh, that if anything, they generated more spontaneous unrest, outrage, um, and ultimately led to more provocations uh, on the part of the police, uh, the federal agents, um, and then naturally on the part of the protesters as well. Um, in the days since, in the past couple days, the protests have simmered uh, much, much less volatile. There's certainly very little uh, daily violence, police repression being unleashed like there was uh, for several weeks and really for several months. Uh, it's important to note that the protests, while they have uh, dissipated somewhat, were never really about uh, federal government overreach or states' rights or anything sort of abstract, uh, these kind of sort of uh, broader questions of how the federal and state government functioned. Uh, they've always been about occupation by police, whether that be by the local Portland Police Bureau, uh, or especially by these unidentified and totally unaccountable federal agents. Mm -hmm. And how did all of this begin? Because I feel as though we weren't really hearing about Portland that much until the federal government deployed these agents. Has the Trump administration offered any clear as explanation as to why it targeted Portland, or do you see this purely as part of a re-election strategy? Well, their justification for what they've been calling Operation Legend uh, after a four-year-old who was shot uh, and killed in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, named Legend uh, Calafiore, I believe. Um, the general justification which has been given for the deployment of Customs and Border Patrol agents to Portland uh, and other cities has been one of violence. Uh, now, the violence is sometimes left unspecified. It's a uh, gesture towards political violence uh, being enacted in response to police repression. 
or to sort of daily, more uh, routine violence carried out um, just as a matter of routine under uh, the daily economic oppression of capitalism uh, and the ridiculous inequality that uh, exists so acutely in cities. Um, so there is a broad explanation. It's not terribly convincing, um, fairly clearly racist. Uh, the real explanation, yeah, I think has a lot more to do with re-election, has a lot more to do with uh, the desire on the part of reactionaries, um, reactionary politicians, especially Donald Trump and those around him, to generate a sort of climate of political instability uh, and to thus be able to crack down on those he deems terrorists, Antifa, violent, whatever label he wants to slap on them or those uh, in the U.S. government wish to. So um, in that sense, yeah, I think it's pretty clear uh, there was never, prior to the deployment even of these agents to Portland, uh, local reports suggested that the Black Lives Matter protests, which originally kicked off across the country in the wake of the police execution of George Floyd, those had dwindled in Portland. People mm -hmm. said that there were less than 100 protesters uh, at the time of the deployment of the federal agents to the federal courthouse in Portland, Oregon. So really, the only lens that it makes sense to view this through is um, in some senses, a, a calculated attempt by the Trump administration to generate the kinds of outrage and unrest, uh, which were then subsequently used to justify the same uh, federal occupation, if you will, that he demanded. And how did these protests differ from other demonstrations you've covered in the past? You were active amid the Black Lives Matter protests in D.C. recently, for example. Did these federal forces behave differently than local police? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in another sense, you know, this isn't something that we saw just restricted to Portland. In fact, early on in June, we saw federal agents uh, unidentified masking tape covering their badges so you couldn't read what their name was, uh, who were deployed, it turned out, from the Bureau of Prisons, specially trained prison riot uh, jailers who were deployed in the streets of Washington, D.C. to enforce law and order. So this was not a new tactic in the sense that the federal government was deploying unidentified sort of anonymous agents to enact state violence against protesters well before the situation in Portland. I think what changed is, uh, well, a number of things. Protests had been out of the spotlight in a number of other cities uh, where they'd been more prominent recently, including D.C., especially cities like uh, Minneapolis, though. Um, and we see a willingness, though, uh, as distinct from many other 
demonstrations against racist police terror, we see a willingness on the part of the mainstream media to embrace the protests in Portland insofar as they can portray them as being specifically against Donald Trump, insofar as they can portray them as being a conflict between Republicans and Democrats and not between the working class and the ruling class, they are more than willing to give coverage to these kinds of events. Um, but obviously, as soon as people begin making these deeper systemic critiques uh, and really asking what does it mean to differentiate between an occupation between these federal forces, for example, and the other federal forces who have been, or sorry, in the state or local federal forces who have been enacting similar violence uh, for years and years and years without the need for Donald Trump uh, to come and uh, inflame the situation. One video in particular that sticks out was the uh, arrest by New York Police Department officers this past weekend of a young transgender woman who they manhandled, grabbed, and threw into a minivan in a scene more or less exactly equivalent to what the feds have been doing in Portland, uh, but being carried out by these same local police forces. So we see at the end of the day that uh, whether they are dressed in the military fatigues as these uh, agents who seem to be acting as troops in Portland are, uh, or whether they are dressed as normal, run-of-the-mill city cops, at the end of the day, they're enacting the same violence. And that's more than obvious to those who've been fighting this fight for uh, since well before the latest round of protests. Uh, those groups, uh, including in Portland, the most notable uh, currently would be Don't Shoot Portland, which um, ended up uh, taking a, a pretty significant leadership role um, in terms of organization of the encampments of the now famous wall of moms of these other uh, instances of uh, factions, uh, political factions coming out in support of the broader uh, resistance movement in there in Portland. So while we do see these obvious and clear parallels between the type of state repression being acting by the federal agents and by local police forces, there is some distinction in the sense that these agents have really been operating with no clear limits in terms of what they're, uh, the violence that they're able to mete out, uh, whether that be to protesters, innocent bystanders, or journalists like myself. The day of the injunction, which went into effect, specifically banning these federal agents from targeting journalists, I myself was shot, targeted with a tear gas canister while I was at least 10 feet away from uh, anyone else, nowhere near any militant protesters. Later that night, at least three, uh, maybe four other journalists were also targeted, uh, whether that be through chemical munitions uh, being deployed directly at them or physical violence. I heard one was targeted with a baton. Uh, so there are 
acting in a fairly unhinged manner, or they were, uh, rather prior to their sort of cessation of violence, this, uh, for the time being, um, kind of ceasefire that they have been willing to uh, not brutalize protesters for the past few nights. Um, but ultimately, as we saw in D.C., uh, we saw again in Portland, the only limits on the types of force that these federal agents are able to deploy are those that they themselves impose. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that you really do feel as though there was an effort to target press throughout your experience in Portland. You also... Uh, you know, I, I felt uh, at the time it happened, I hadn't been long in, in Portland. It was my second night. Uh, I, I felt a little bit uneasy at that point because I have sort of a sense of, you know, a, a journalistic desire to make sure that I get the facts straight. I didn't want to portray this as them specifically targeting me as the night developed. Uh, and I met so many more people, uh, uh, members of the media who had been targeted, it became obvious. Uh, mm. And as the week went on, uh, I was uh, targeted not with physical violence, but harassed by a number of uh, agents uh, who appeared to be with Bortec, this supposedly highly trained uh, special agent uh, responsible for, as they say, uh, or as they portray themselves, um, capturing high-level drug trafficking suspects. Uh, so it's, it was never extre extremely clear why such a violent uh, group, and a group which, uh, as an aside, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but a woman who worked at the, uh, worked for Border Patrol prior to 2001, for eight years, uh, referred to Bortec as the most racist unit uh, in the, the entirety of Customs and Border Patrol, which I think says a lot, given what we know about the kind of racism that is rampant in that agency. Um, but yes, I do think they were targeting journalists, um, and this uh, isn't idle speculation anymore. We now know, uh, thanks to uh, some excellent reporting that's come out of the nation about uh, attempts by the uh, Department of Homeland Security to essentially treat journalists how they treat those on the FBI most wanted list uh, or terrorists uh, and create a sort of baseball card deck of most wanted style uh, journalists and protesters. Um, so these are being handed around, distributed by these agents. Uh, so we know um, on, in that regard as well, they were heavily surveilling journalists who they deemed uh, uh, oppositional. Um, and uh, even today, uh, Ken Klippenstein uh, released another article uh, with The Nation um, this one's showing that, uh, the Department of Homeland Security is compiling, uh, intelligence reports tying activists and journalists to foreign militant groups. Um, so the person they're specifically using for this is, is Brace Belden, 
Um, and a lot of viewers will be aware of who this person is, but for the uninformed... His Twitter account used to be Piss Pig Granddad, I believe. That's exactly right, and it still is, um, which makes one of the more surreal parts of uh, reading these reports being to scroll down and find that a subject of surveillance is someone named Piss Pig Granddad, whose username is LennonLover69. So not, uh, I would say, the world's most serious uh, political activist. Um, but he definitely has an outsized impact. Um, and his specific role in terms of uh, where he fits into the broader left is that he is a high-profile, uh, essentially, press secretary, uh, functioning effectively as a press secretary for the YPG militia in Syria. Um, so he at was attempting... Uh, very openly um, for months, I believe years actually, to help carve out this sort of Kurdish uh, nominal, nominally uh, workers' democracy. Uh, Autonomous zone in Syria. Ethnostate, a Kurdish ethnostate um, in Syria. He went and actually fought alongside these individuals in Syria throughout the the war that was waged on the country. He did. Um, and he fought alongside not just these uh, YPG militants, but also um, effectively, even uh, if not actively on the same battlefield uh, as the U.S. Marines. Right. Uh, so he could have joined the U.S. Marines and been fighting on the same side in that war, but he just went and joined independently. And so he was really revered on some left Twitter circles for that. Yeah, um, and that's, you know, another conversation really about, I think, the uh, ability of the State Department in general um, and its more pliant, uh, its more pliant media outlets uh, to set the terms of the agenda in terms of legitimate leftism. Um, but what it also says is that they really have no real ability to connect um, any of these journalists or activists to foreign powers, as has been the case since they first attempted um, with Max Blumenthal, uh, because he had the audacity to wear a t-shirt that had the eyes of Chavez on it. This turned almost into an international incident where it was assumed that somehow the uh, United Socialist Party of Venezuela was behind the unrest in the United States uh, in the wake of the police murder of George Floyd. Uh, Imposter Guaido foreign minister Julio Borges even tweeted out the image and tried to claim that this was proof of Venezuela's influence in the United States. Officials in Miami making similar comments, calling for a, an FBI investigation, I believe, into, into the relationship between demonstrators and the Venezuelan government. Totally absurd. <laughs> absurd. Um, and in this case, 
Uh, it is as well, although it seems they finally at least found someone who actually was engaged uh, in a military campaign. Uh, it just so happens it's not that it was a military campaign that the United States government uh, was itself pushing. So they've right. known about Brace Belden's activism in Syria for some time. Uh, this is, to me, a pretty clear uh, attempt to just sort of smear different uh, leftist labels. When you look at the actual document, um, some of the choice uh, sentences here, uh, they describe Brace Belden as a minor criminal and drug addict who started reading Marx and Lenin in drug rehabilitation treatment. Uh, and they make further references to uh, a, a Kurdish uh, member of the Kurdish liberation movement um, who they surveilled um, his social media uh, and discovered, quote, multiple conversations where he admitted to being an anarchist, anti-imperialist, and socialist, and was attempting to meet with fellow socialists and anarchists in multiple countries, including Cuba and Venezuela, uh, which is honestly kind of bizarre. Uh, Very confused. It shows the ideological sort of incoherence of what they are proposing, that anarchists... Uh, fighting against the Syrian government are secretly allied with the Cuban and Venezuelan uh, revolutionary movements. Uh, it bears very little resemblance to reality, uh, but I think it's important to understand it as uh, part of the broader attempt to demonize those ideologies which are deemed legitimate threats mm -hmm. to the status quo in the United States and to the ruling class more generally. Now, especially as we've recently seen confirmation that Kurdish forces are collaborating with the United States to sell off Syria's oil, which should belong to the sovereign Syrian state, I think it's, it's proof that fighting on behalf of the Kurds was in no way actually threatening to U.S. government interests in Syria. In fact, the Kurds were simply tools of the U.S. in, in that case. So. Wyatt, getting back to Portland, you recorded a viral video showing federal agents arresting a woman after she attempted to hand them flowers. How has this image maybe come to symbolize some of the protests in, in around the country? And do we know anything more about this woman and what exactly happened here? I was unable to follow up with uh, the woman in particular. Um, her arrest was, if anything, one of the more, as, as strange as it sounds to say, one of the more justifiable ones I viewed, just in the sense that she was relatively close to the DHS agents who arrested her. I don't believe she made any physical contact, uh, but, you know, at, at least in that case, they could kind of say that she was in their personal space, I guess. Um, that, I think, that video you're referring to uh, it symbolizes to me a kind of perspective on protest and on uh, resistance more broadly that is focused fundamentally on aesthetic um, that may misunderstand fundamentally the dynamics that are happening here. 
Um, I I think this this kind of tactic, right, uh, attempting to to put these agents on trial for for the public to view, uh, this works a lot better when you have a government a a, a media apparatus that uh, is fully willing and fully on board with the sort of uh, pro-democracy freedom movement, however it is generally framed in the countries which we see these images lifted from. Uh, they don't work here in the United States uh, because the ruling class, the mass media, uh, generally has less interest in enacting regime change here. Uh, they certainly do have an interest in embarrassing Donald Trump um, and in uh, helping out his political opponents to a certain extent, uh, but I don't think that they're really willing to uh, actually overthrow the United States government to get rid of Donald Trump. Um, and so ultimately there is no real backbone to, uh, with which to, to uh, I'll say that again, there's no uh, hard right hand with which to back up that soft left. Uh, so when uh, protesters push out uh, images like this designed to, or they're hoping to elicit some sort of popular outrage, um, that can help, sure. Uh, but it's certainly not going to be treated like it was if it took place in Iran or in Venezuela, or uh, especially not in Hong Kong. Uh, it's going to be taken as another um, as, 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 as we see protests more broadly in the United States, which is to say uh, perhaps people with legitimate grievances, but not, uh, not an authoritarian regime, as people so uh, frequently refer to uh, those in the crosshairs of the U.S. government. Um, and so, again, fundamentally, when you go out and draw on this Gene Sharp playbook, um, whether that be trying to hand flowers to uh, the federal agents or as the woman who they refer to as the Portland Athena, whether that, uh, uh, in, in the case of the Portland Athena, uh, whether that be exposing yourself to the police uh, and dem displaying your genitals in some act of defiance, uh, these things may generate headlines, uh, clickbait, outrage from the right wing, uh, scorn <laughs> from the hard left, and applause from the liberals, uh, but they don't fundamentally move the needle um, in terms of the conditions of people on the ground. Uh, it's ultimately fairly meaningless. Very well said. Legislation put forward by Oregon Senator Jeff Markey, a Democrat, would require officers to display identifying information in a visible fashion at all times and also ban agents from using unmarked vehicles during arrests. What do you make of these proposals and how do demonstrators in Portland view the Democratic Party? Protesters in Portland don't view the Democratic Party as their friend. I'll say that much. Uh, 
from the very beginning, from the first night I was there, uh, in which Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler attempted to calm the crowd, um, he made his first appearance before demonstrators. Uh, it was extremely clear that he did not have the loyalty of the thousands of protesters in the streets. If anything, they viewed him as an impediment to real justice. So it took him about a half an hour to get through maybe five minutes of remarks because he was constantly being shouted down, heckled from the crowd. Uh, those attempting to give him a platform would have to sort of wrangle the crowd back into silence uh, only for the cycle to repeat itself. So just from how I've seen these politicians received uh, on an interpersonal level, I can't say that uh, those who form the real um, backbone of this uh, anti-police brutality movement in Portland will be cowed by the Democratic proposals. Um, I will say I think that they are ultimately pretty performative. Um, I myself, uh, immediately after Mayor Wheeler's speech, was able to uh, confront him about the federal agents disappearing protesters uh, in response to these horrifying images of unidentified men, presumably agents, in military fatigues, snatching up protesters seemingly at random into unmarked rental vans. Uh, after those images gained traction, um, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner publicly stated that uh, he didn't care what kind of uniforms uh, those anyone was wearing, that if someone did that kind of a thing, they would be arrested for kidnapping. So I asked Mayor Wheeler whether federal agents who kidnap people would be arrested. Um, and at first he tried to change the subject and said there's already an investigation into what's happening. And I said, will you commit to arresting feds who kidnap people? Uh, will you commit to arresting feds who kidnap people? And he said, feds who kidnap people? Hell yes. Uh, it's illegal to kidnap people. Uh, and then he turned and walked away. As I said, isn't it happening already? Hasn't it happened dozens of times? He ignored those questions, uh, which I think is pretty telling. That's where the Democratic Party is at. They will offer you uh, lip service to the most uh, to to help address some of the most barbaric treatment you're receiving. The things that. Uh, go beyond the pale, but really only insofar as they uh, delegitimize the American brand, right? Uh, their interest is less so in uh, providing redress for victims of systemic oppression and injustice, and more in ensuring the long-term longevity of the imperialist project. So when they provide these sorts of solutions, you'll see that they really address only 5 or 10% of the uh, broader demands that people are out in the streets making. Um, and even then, they can only ever address uh, these issues through this um, very legalistic, uh, judicially obsessed kind of mentality. 
uh, where they'll they'll only ever oppose him uh, in the sense that he is breaking specific laws and not in the sense that he is uh, uh, rather that uh, the police are uh, serving as an instrument of white supremacist domination and of internal colonization. And so do you see as the marquee proposal, proposals as an extension of that, just moving the law and and not necessarily addressing the structural concern here? Yeah, I think that's what we've seen from the very beginning from the Democrats. Uh, every real demand that the protesters brought out, uh, in the beginning it was defund the police. What was the response by the Democrats? Well, we're going to give uh, $300 billion more, <laughs> or $300 million more to, to police. Uh, you know, in different cities uh, across, across the country, this was, um, this was the response uh, across the board, whether that be Joe Biden, whether that be uh, here in D.C., um, Democratic Mayor Muriel Bowser. Um, so, you know, really, I think we have to stop having any faith in any of these proposals that the Democrats are offering. We have to really even stop assuming that they're being presented in good faith, if, if we are still doing that, um, because it's becoming increasingly clear that their only purpose really here is to uh, misdirect and reorient the most uh, popular energy behind these protests and uh, redirect it back into um, electoral politics, into this sort of back and forth horse race, just following just, on up. Sorry. We just got to get Biden elected and then everything will be better. I, I want to go back to normal, right? Right. Everything will be great again, just like under the Obama administration when there were no Black Lives Matter protests or police killings, right? Or deportations. Right. Yeah. None of that just it didn't happen. So on the you brought up deportations just now and earlier you mentioned the role of Border Patrol and obviously Homeland Security in this deployment of federal officers around the country. And so I'm wondering, as someone who I know is also very involved in anti-imperialist demonstrations, we work together on the Venezuelan Embassy Protection Collective. You've done great work on Bolivia, on Nicaragua, on Venezuela. How does what we're experiencing here in the United States right now relate to that struggle that we've engaged in on the international level in showing solidarity with these countries that are victims and targets of U.S. imperialism? Well, I think for the first time, a lot of Americans who define themselves as broadly opposed to the imperialist injustices perpetrated by this government, uh, they've gotten a taste of what that occupation uh, might look like from the other side. 
Um, obviously, it's nowhere near the same. They're not using live ammunition like they were in Bolivia um, in the two massacres in November, uh, which happened as the military attempted to crack down on protests which sprung up in opposition to the U.S.-backed coup against the country's first indigenous president, Evo Morales. Um, and on a related note, we see today those same type of types of protests springing all up throughout, uh, all across, springing up all across Bolivia uh, as labor organizers, uh, indigenous activists, and all types of social movements demand uh, elections as were promised for September 6th, but which the Anya's regime has since moved up to October. Uh, and there's some doubt whether they intend to have elections at this all. the third time they've delayed elections. Yeah, uh, which, you know, at this point, I think people are saying, Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, can't get fooled again, as George Bush put it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, there's there's no doubt in a lot of these organizers' minds that at this point um, they're not going to get elections um, until they uh, force them in, in the streets. Um, but uh, returning to the similarities in terms of the state repression being employed to crack down on protests, they are very clearly drawing from the same playbook. Even these kinds of disappearances into vans, this was something that we saw all throughout the United States government's dirty wars in Latin America, throughout uh, Operation Condor, as it was referred to, um, and even recently, in Bolivia, this was another tactic which the right wing was employing, uh, by which the right wing paramilitaries, uh, who are functionally equivalent to their brethren in Venezuela and in Nicaragua, uh, other states where the right wing and fascists have attempted coups, um, these fascists uh, were also disappearing people into vans who they deemed uh, political opponents. Uh, with the tacit approval of the state. Um, the difference in the United States, this was the actual government doing it. Uh, they didn't need to employ uh, paramilitaries, although that sort of thing happens very frequently. Um, uh, connections there are a little bit less uh, direct, generally speaking. But uh, th all these same tactics um, are, are, are really... Uh, part of a broader handbook, guidebook, uh, for controlling dissent that we see throughout the United States um, and throughout its so-called allies, really its clients, uh, client states and vassals, um, especially uh, Israel, most notably Israel, because uh, in covering the protests in Portland, uh, one... Um, recurring uh, comment that I have gotten from anti-imperialist journalists has been to remark on the similarity between the treatment of journalists in Portland and the treatment of journalists in the West Bank. Uh, they're being treated, or we were essentially being treated uh, up until just a few days ago, 
as effectively an enemy combatants um, and as valid targets for uh, state repression. So these are, again, something that you don't have to look too far to see. Uh, you see the kind of uh, repression of journalists uh, in Bolivia from the very first day of the coup. They were frog marching out uh, journalists who were sympathetic to uh, labor organizers. They frog marched them out of their office, uh, either hog tied them or tied them to trees um, and uh, tortured many. Uh, something we also saw in Nicaragua during the attempted coup of 2018. Uh, treatment of journalists uh, who were seen as sympathetic um, to the uh, to leftists uh, and leftist causes um, as effectively being uh, agents of those causes. Um, and being treated, um, in many cases, even worse than the demonstrators. Uh, because it's not just a war um, as it is in the United States, uh, whether that be in Portland or D.C. or Chicago, uh, Minneapolis. It's not just a war of the police against demonstrators. Uh, it's a war of the state against anyone who really dares resist. Um, and for that reason, it's so important that we be extremely critical of uh, attempts by the democratic establishment to ingratiate themselves with the left uh, and to co-opt and ultimately control the direction of the movement. Well, finally, Wyatt, just to wrap, where can viewers follow your work? Yeah, definitely. Please check me out on Twitter at WyattReed13. That's at W-Y-A-T-T-R-E-E-D-1-3. Uh, people should also check out By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik. We air every weekday from 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, so check me out there, here. Um, I'm sure uh, we'll be talking again at some point soon. We sure will. And yes, I second that. Everyone should give Wyatt a follow and also listen to By Any Means Necessary. You can find it, I think, on podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud. iHeartRadio, Spreaker, uh, and you can listen that. live on SputnikNews.com. Absolutely. So Wyatt Reed, thank you so much for your time this evening. Thanks, Anya. Thank you.